Blog Talk Radio. Morning, animal people, and welcome to the Pet Place Radio Show. I'm your host, Marie Hewlett, and I am so happy that you've tuned in this morning. Some pretty amazing guests will be stopping by today. First up will be author Laura Marlowe, who's written a truly marvelous book called Tommy the Throwaway Dog. It's a book that completely fits in with all that the pet place is, finding homes for homeless pets who have been discarded or abused or abandoned by their previous owners. So I couldn't be happier about talking with this author. And the more we bring attention to the numbers of beautiful animals out there that need help, the faster we'll achieve our goal of finding a home for every animal in a shelter or rescue and making sure animals are not abused and neglected. And then after our halftime break, I am delighted to say that Don Albert from Doxy Rescue will be sharing some true stories about the little dogs that her organization is helping. It's going to be a great show today, so grab your cup of coffee or tea and get set, and we'll be back in just a moment with a brand new edition of the Pet Place Radio Show here on K-Mozart. Welcome back. You're listening to the Pet Place Radio Show on K Mozart. I'm Marie Hewitt, and joining me now is the author of Tommy the Throwaway Dog. It's Laura Marlowe. Welcome to the Pet Place, Laura. Thank you so much, Marie. It's great to be on your show. Hey, what an interesting title. It sounds like so many of the animals that we've talked about here on the Pet Place who have needed homes have ended up in shelters or rescues for one reason or another. Can you tell me a little bit about the story, or is it all top secret? It's definitely not top secret anymore. Okay. (laughs) Honestly, I found out about Tommy, Tommy the throwaway dog, as he was named by the folks at the shelter that had been taking care of him. I found out about the story by accident, and it did something to me. I was skimming news headlines one evening, and one jumped out at me, It was about the abuse of a dog. I don't remember the exact uh, wording of the headline, but being an animal welfare activist and a major fan of our canine friends, Mm -hmm. I went ahead and decided to read the article, and, well, that was that. I found out about this dog, a puppy, that had been horrifically abused, Mm. unspeakably abused, and then thrown away, all this done by his first owner. And then I found out that after he had had surgery Mm -hmm. and a lot of treatments for the extensive, massive wounds that he had sustained, mainly from the abuse, not from having been in the dumpster, Uh he uh, was being taken care of by this incredible shelter And I went ahead and went to their website and read more about the story. Mm -hmm. I got more horrified. And I saw some, well, some graphic photos that are still with me that actually kind of were the final straw that made me obsessed 
about this dog Mm -hmm. and all the incredible people involved in his rescue and rehabilitation. And that altogether spurned me to not only make a donation toward his care to the folks at the shelter, but I got an idea to write his story for children. Wow, that's kind of a leap. Wasn't that, I think about that, and I think about what you're telling me, the horrific photos and the horrible story. Um, That seems like a pretty deep story for children. Actually, you are right. I purposely left out and always knew that I was going to leave out the graphic details and even mention of abuse. Mm -hmm. That is not part of the story and was never meant to be part of the children's book. Okay, okay. So so you're basically talking about the disposable pet society in a way that children could understand and creating a lesson to teach children the importance of caring for animals and loving them and that sort of thing then. Yes, the book... uh, does move quickly from when he is found in the dumpster by the city worker, an Mm -hmm. actual trash collector, and then straight on to the shelter and the veterinarian care, and then the other wonderful things that happened, including the very happy ending. And all of that, all the kind people involved in his rescue and rehabilitation and adoption are the focus and always still are what I make sure that children and students focus on because Mm -hmm. the theme really is the value of kindness and how it benefits everyone. Okay. So, Well, what a great lesson to put out there. And and how has it been received so far? It has been received so enthusiastically. People from teachers to librarians to parents to animal welfare organization staff and even reading enrichment organizations have been obtaining the book and using it in all kinds of programs and classes. Oh, that's great. It's wonderful because it facilitates animal welfare discussions Mm -hmm. and, of course, with its very vibrantly colored illustrations makes, you know, something wonderful for children to enjoy just for reading enrichment. But... The main purpose is to show them why kindness is so important, not just to Tommy, Mm -hmm. but to everyone. And children have just been, oh, so inspired by what the trash collector did, (laughs) the fact that he cared enough to call 911, even though he didn't think Tommy was actually going to live much longer. Uh And everybody in the story, they also cheer the arrest of Tommy's first donor, the Oh, abuser. he was arrested. Okay. She was thankfully arrested and okay. charged for her crimes. All righty. So I cheer that today, too. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> That's excellent. What age range would you say the, the book is for? It's really for youngsters, about three to nine. Oh, okay. So the real young readers, then. Absolutely. Though oftentimes 10- and 11-year-olds Uh, at schools are brought in to a lot of the readings and Q&As that I'm invited to do because, although, of course, it is for children a bit younger than that, Mm -hmm. the book is something or the story is something that they can relate to, and they ask important and different questions from 
those that are asked by many of the youngsters. Ah, okay. So that's good to have the older kids in there, too. And, you know, as as a parent who's read many, many children's stories to my kids when they were growing up, I enjoy reading children's books, too. And And I think... Anybody who's interested in reading to children, if you have some time and you could go to the library on their special reading days or go to schools, um, you know, read a book like this one because it's a great message and then you can ask questions of the kids that will get them thinking about this sort of thing. That's exactly right. It, it can facilitate so many different discussions, all of which are about kindness animal welfare, why adoption is the best way to go Mm -hmm. for our needy animal friends, and even dialogues have been opened up about veterinarians and children then become enthusiastic about the possibility of them becoming veterinarians someday. Wow, that's very cool. Now, have you been writing children's books for a long time? I actually have only been writing children's books for the last few years, but I have been a long-time poet Ah. I'm a big, big fan of writing poetry, and I'm very whimsical and have a wild imagination, and it doesn't take much for me to become inspired to write poems and stories. Okay, so I take it it Tommy isn't your first published work then? Uh, This actually is my first published Ah, work. Ah, interesting. Okay, well that's that's really exciting then to take something that you were so passionate about and have that be the one that is your entry into the uh, published literary world. Congratulations. Thank you so much. And yes, it has been exciting and especially important to me because of my love for animals and appreciation of those who are, well, working the front lines mm-hmm. of animal welfare, including those who own and operate nonprofit shelters and rescues. Right. And, you know, so many people who work in, in that industry are very underappreciated, and a lot of times they're made to be the villains almost, uh, especially in shelters who are unfortunately, in areas where there's euthanasia because there's just not enough adoptions. And they're doing their best to educate people and and to get animals into homes, and it's like a never-ending cycle of animals that are discarded. And rather than people realizing the problem lies with society, they, they blame it all on the people at the animal shelters, which is unfortunate because they're working really, really hard to try and change things and, and rarely get any kind of good words tossed their way. So it's it's nice that you're supporting the people who are working in shelters and rescues. And did you actually get to meet Tommy? I did. You can probably hear the smile in my voice right now. <laughs> yes, actually, in December 2010, I was invited to do a book signing at a store in Illinois to which Tommy's family and Tommy were invited for a very grand special event and not only did I meet him and hug him, uh-huh. uh, to my great surprise, and I guess I have to say thanks again to all the people who organized it because they kept it a surprise from me, uh-huh. the veterinarian and the chief of police also were at the book signing. Wow. It was fabulous to meet them and chat with them. And uh, we sold, uh, the store sold about 200 books in three hours. 
and I donated every penny to Hope Animal Rescues, oh, the wow. wonderful shelter in Alton, Illinois, mm-hmm. that took care of Tommy. And I understand that you're also helping out some shelters in Mexico and Puerto Rico where, unfortunately, animal care is really low on society's uh, system of, of care. And can you tell me a little bit about that? Yes. Uh, in Mexico, in southeast Mexico, there's a wonderful organization made up of some expats from Canada and some of our United States, mm-hmm. as well as some locals, including a wonderful veterinarian I hope to meet sometime. And these people, for the last three years, have been working diligently to create the first-ever clinic, an actual spay-neuter and adoption and educational clinic in the Progreso area. Mm-hmm. I have been a fan of theirs all this time and have contributed to their ongoing work, and I'm happy to report that the clinic is now three-quarters done. There were actual delays caused by, well, difficulty getting city permits and, Mm -hmm. you know, governmental issues and uh, obtaining prices for labor and parts for this and that, but now... There's great progress, and hopefully it's going to be finished perhaps by the spring or summer. Oh, that'll be wonderful. Yes, and as you mentioned, this ongoing problem in other countries mm-hmm. where there's an incredible stray population mm-hmm. and even a, well, a different mentality. Well, it's really accepted. I, I know that when my yeah. brother-in-law was working in Puerto Rico for about a year, there were stray dogs everywhere, and, and people just ignored them. It was just the way it was, and it would break his heart because he'd see these animals. Almost all of them had heartworm. They were all skinny, starving, and, and nobody really seemed to care about these animals. And the few little animal shelters that were in the area... They were overwhelmed as it was, and they couldn't help any of these animals. So what he did is he would bring home one or two every month and and get them fixed up here and find a home for them. But, I mean, there were just so many thousands and thousands of what they call street dogs, and that was just the fact of life there, and it's kind of sad. And these kinds of stories are sadly too commonplace. Mm -hmm. Thank goodness for the individuals who do spend money and take time to do what they can to mm-hmm. make a difference. Yeah, They're in fact, every little bit helps. Just last week, this group, Protección de Perros y Gatos, mm-hmm. they hosted a second annual uh, spay and neuter. Uh, well, what they did was they have veterinarians visit from all over the world who wow. volunteer to spend the whole weekend and neutering and educating the public about their own animals and the strays. And that makes a very nice difference. Sure it does. And it's small steps, and you can only get to a few people at a time, but everything you do is just chiseling away and starting to make a difference. So that is really wonderful, and I'm, I'm glad you're involved in that process. But let me, before we run out of time, let me ask you one more question about Tommy. Where can the book be purchased if somebody was interested? 
Uh, the books can be purchased directly through Mirror Publishing of Milwaukee, and I believe that they will only sell them, though, for a minimum of 10, 10 copies. Okay. But they sell them at a very nice discount, and it can be purchased through book distributors such as Barnes & Noble and Amazon and Tower. Oh, excellent. Okay, so somebody could probably go online and then do a search for the title, which again is? Tommy's a throwaway dog. Excellent. <laughs> and, and then you can just order it online. I love doing that. Very easily. Laura, Tommy's story is all too familiar for those of us who run in the animal rescue circles, but I do believe that education is the key to ending animal suffering, and I'm thrilled you're doing so much with your book, and I thank you for sharing this story with us today. I thank you so very much as well, and great to be on your show, and thanks to all your listeners as well. Well, you have a great day, and we need to take a quick pet place break now, but don't go away. Doxy Rescues Don Albert is standing by to share some of her special tales. We'll be right back here on K Mozart. Welcome back to the Pet Place Radio Show. I'm Kay Mozart. I'm Marie Hewlett, and joining me now is Southern California Doxy Rescues, Don Albert. Welcome to the Pet Place, Don. Thank you, Marie. I'm very excited about having this opportunity today. So, Southern California Doxy Rescue, is that a new organization, or have you been around for a while? We have actually been doing docks and rescue for almost 20 years. Oh, wow. Um, our founder, Dina, um, started with just a couple of dachshunds and uh, year by year it grew bigger and bigger and about three years ago uh, we became an incorporation within the state of California and we then applied for our charitable organization status from the Internal Revenue Service so um, now we're a little bit bigger and a little bit smarter and we're also a 501c3 charitable organization. Oh that's wonderful congratulations. Thank you. Are there really that many doxies here in Southern California that, that need rescuing? You know, Marie, due to the economic climate that we're in right now, there are, as you know, dogs and cats of all calibers that are waiting for homes. And mm -hmm. it really surprises me about how many dachshunds are actually out there that need homes. Um, a lot of people you know, can no longer afford to keep their homes, but so many of them come from shelters locally. Wow. Um, anywhere from Ventura, San Jose, San Francisco, San Diego, Riverside, there are hundreds literally every year that are in shelters looking for homes. It's hard to believe that they'd even last a day in a shelter without somebody coming by and falling in love and saying, I want that dog. <laughs> it really is unbelievable. In fact, just uh, two weeks ago I, I got the most beautiful black and tan long-haired dachshund, about 18 months old from a shelter in Ventura County. Wow. She is beautiful and just so lovely. It just, I don't understand how they wind up on the streets running straight. I just don't understand why people don't fall in love with them immediately, but it takes the right person to understand a dachshund personality. Really? And why is that? Are they, uh, are they different from most dogs? Well, they are different. I believe for most dogs, okay. um, <laughs> their personalities are 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 quite funny. Um, they're very opinionated. They're very strong-headed. They have their own way of doing things, and many times we call them dogs with little wooden ears because they only hear what they want to hear. <laughs> they, 
<laughs> so they, it means they only do what they want to do. They can be very oh. difficult to train because of that as well. You know, I have heard that they're probably one of the more difficult dogs to house train. Is that true, or can you just follow the same rules with any I, dog for house I training? I believe you can pretty much follow the rules. It's just that it's a because they are stubborn, mm-hmm. um, it's a consistency that must be continually applied to them. You have to work with them for a long time, and you have to use you know, the same uh, everyday techniques to make sure that they understand and that they're going to follow through on what they've learned. Because if you stop teaching them, they stop learning, and then therefore they stop doing the right thing many times. I couldn't agree more. You know, people who say that their dogs are untrainable, usually it's the people in the household that are the problem and not the dogs, and they fail to be consistent with their training. One person will do it one way, another person in the family will do it another way, or everybody will be totally lax, you know, for two or three days in a row and forget training completely. And and then when the dog has an accident, they think it's the dog's fault. I couldn't agree with you more on that. It's exactly true. It's not the dog's fault. It's our fault for not following through on the training. In fact, even my husband and I, um, he does tries to do the same things that I do, but he, sometimes he speaks in full sentences to them. And I'm like, Jim, they only understand a few words. So, <laughs> so even, you know, as, as savvy as I like to think that my husband and I are about dachshunds in their training, mm-hmm. we still have differences, you know, of how That's things get done. Yeah, it is kind of funny. I, I talk to other people in, in animal training and animal welfare and, and our dogs tend to be the most spoiled and get away with the most uh, <laughs> mischief because we're we're so focused on helping other people with their animals. Um, we kind of uh, let our, our animals become a little mischievous kids. That's true. And mine mix in with um, the foster children, uh, as we like to call them. And uh-huh. so they, they're right in the middle of things. And I do have a couple of them that like to teach the new incoming foster doxies, you know, how to do things. They teach them the doggy door. Oh, they, nice. Yeah, and they teach them to play and, you know, how to be careful and gentle. And it's quite amazing to see you know, an older dog or a more experienced dachshund mm-hmm. train some of the young ones. It's, it's quite funny. Oh, that's really nice. How many fosters do you generally have at any given time, you personally? Um, me personally, um, I am licensed to have up to 15 dogs in my house at any oh, one wow. time. Uh-huh. And they do live in the house. We don't oh, have public facilities. Of course, 15 dachshunds is like one St. Bernard. So. Oh, my gosh, yes, <laughs> about about the same. Uh, today I have 13, including my own five. So oh, I have wow. eight fosters here today. But we have three right now at the veterinarian's office waiting to be picked up. Um, and we have foster homes all over Southern California. Some wonderful people that work with us, like do with all rescue groups, mm-hmm. you know, try to help us as much as they can. Do you keep the dogs that you bring into your rescue in foster homes, or do you have an actual facility somewhere also? We do not have a facility. They are all housed in foster homes and treated like uh, their own pets. Okay. We only ask our foster people to uh, provide their food for them and give them love and teach them how to walk on a leash and, and teach them, you know, how to do potty training and doggy door and sleep in a kennel because a lot of people don't want their dog sleeping in bed with them at night. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine, but uh, <laughs> we, we do kennel train them so they're sleeping in kennels at night. But okay. during the day, they have the full house of, you know, to run around in in the backyard and they get treated like 
all of my own dogs get treated. Oh, that's wonderful. How do you recruit people to be foster families? Well, it's it's funny because uh, most of the foster families that we have um, already own a dachshund, sometimes mm-hmm. more than one dachshund, and they just love them so much. And we've known them over the years. You develop relationships with them, you know, just by talking to them and seeing them here and there. And then the next thing you know, they say, well, I would not mind having, you know, a, a foster dog in my house to try to help you guys out. And and many times they wind up adopting the foster dog, and <laughs> then we lose the foster home, and it yeah. starts the vicious cycle again. But um, So if somebody wanted to volunteer and be a foster family or if somebody wanted to adopt a dog from your organization, where could they go to get that information? Well, the most common site is our website mm-hmm. um, for Southern California Dachshund Rescue. Um, we do have public outreach. We do attend public uh, organizations uh, that you know have adoption events at parks. Um, we go out to the Orange County Fairgrounds twice a year, although we missed last year. They didn't have us out there. Um, we go to different the expo um, in Orange County. Um, we go to many different places. In fact, there's a little place down in Huntington Beach that actually does dachshund racing yeah. uh, in the summer, and we <laughs> will set up down there sometimes with our little booth and you know just promote um, the general welfare of adoption policies and procedures. But I would say the most part is on our website, and those people uh, who have adopted from us in the past. What, what is the actual, since we only have just a matter of seconds, what is your website? It's www.scdr.org, and it's scdr for Southern California org. Excellent. Okay, so you have uh, all of your adoption information up there and information about the breed and health and, and what makes a, a good family for a doxy and all that great stuff. Absolutely. Our policies and procedures, all of the dogs that are up for adoption are listed on there. And we also utilize Pet Finder as well. They're a wonderful organization, and um, you know, Petco does some great things for all kinds of adoptable wonderful. agencies. Okay. Well, thanks so much for stopping by today and letting us know about Doxy Rescue here in Southern California. It's time to take our last break of the morning, but when we return, be ready for Pet Place news and events here on K-Mozart. We're back on the Pet Place Radio Show. I'm Marie Hewitt, and it's time for Pet Place News and Events. You know, I've mentioned this a few times here on the Pet Place Radio Show, but if you've ever wanted to do something really fun with your dog on a Monday night, then you really need to head over to Fred's Mexican Cafe in Huntington Beach for Doggy Date Night. Dine on the patio, and when you order an entree, your four-legged friend receives a yummy doggy stew for free. Dress him up for a night on the town every Monday from 6 p.m. to midnight. For more info, call 714-374-TACO or go online to www.fredsmexicancafe.com. And don't forget to check out our website at www.petplace.org and send us your comments or suggestions for the show. That's all for me today. Remember, pets need love and a home, too. We'll be back next weekend here on K-Mozart. I'm Marie Hewlett. Please spay or neuter your pets and have a wonderful day. Thank you.